0: Hey, and welcome to the Scotts Hill podcast. We are currently in a series called, Did God Really Say? Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Scotts Hill. My name is Garrett Burns, as Pastor Phil said. I'm going to be with you this morning. I've been on staff here now almost five years in August. It's been a pleasure. I serve as our college and recreation ministry director and, uh, Thank you for joining us online. Thank you for joining us in the Cross Point Center. Thank you guys for being here with me this morning as we continue our series, uh, Did God Really Say? And in this series, we're looking at different cultural uh, mantras, different cultural phrases, different cultural sayings that people live by. They say, sometimes we say them so much, we start believing them and we start allowing them to guide our decisions. But we want to look at these things and say, really... Did God, did God really say these things? And this morning we're looking at one that says, you only live once. Did God really say you only live once? Man, this is good, right? You guys, I got to get every last drop. Raise your hand if you like iced coffee. Iced coffee is just, I'm going to be honest, I expected more hands. Iced coffee, maybe. I got to admit, this isn't even an iced coffee. It's actually an iced latte. I'm bougie like that. So I like the higher, the higher priced stuff, but... But uh, whenever I drink these things and I come down to the end, a lot of people are like, I got most of it. Let me throw it away. I got a lot of it. Let me throw it away. I can't do that. You see me drinking an iced coffee. I'm I'm slurping every last drop that I can get because it's so tasty. It's so valuable to me. And you know they're overpriced, right? Like I could make this for a quarter of the price at home. So I've got to get every last drop that I can because it's valuable. I don't want to waste it. And maybe, maybe it's not iced coffee for you or iced lattes. Maybe it's chicken wings. Maybe chicken wings is the thing that you like. Raise your hand if you enjoyed our uh, church picnic last, last week. All right, one person. Great. Okay, there we go. Cool. Some of you guys were there. Oh, I had a great time most of the time. But some of the time I was just getting frustrated because I was looking at people eating chicken wings and they were saying that they were done, but it really looked like this. I just killed these wings. I'm full, bro. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're really not. I love, I love chicken wings. I used to take like an hour and a half to bake them just right, higher rack, lower rack, low temp, high temp, get them, get them right. But then my in-laws, praise the Lord, they're actually over there. Thank you. They bought me an air fryer. And so now, yeah, now I have my chicken wings uh, fried up and sauce tossed in less than 30 minutes and it's delicious. But we got to eat chicken wings differently at my house. Because my wife, well, here, normally we, people eat chicken wings like this. They get the, the wing, they eat it, they clean off the bone, and they put the empty bone in a done pile, right? Well, at my house, I get a chicken wing, I clean it off, I put it in the done pile. My wife gets a chicken wing, she eats it, and she puts her done one on my plate so that I can finish eating what she has, has just missed out on. That's on My plate is her, is her done plate because it's so valuable, especially in a wing shortage, right? Y'all know we're in a wing shortage. I don't understand how that works. We're in a wing shortage, but we're not in a breast shortage or in a thigh shortage. I don't, I really, that's true. I don't understand how that works. It's one chicken, but whatever. Anyway, it's so valuable that I don't want to waste it. I can't afford to waste it. But as people, we never really want to waste anything. Right? especially the things that are valuable to us, the things that are important to us. We don't want to waste any of it. We don't want to waste any last ounce of this delicious goodness. We don't want to waste any piece of meat on the bone. And in the case of life itself, we really don't want to waste our lives. We don't want to waste the thing that we have been given to steward. And so a lot of times we go through life afraid that we're going to miss out on something. We're going to miss out on happiness. We're going to miss out on pleasure. We're going to miss out on an experience or, or fame or fortune. And so we come up with these phrases to inspire us like carpe diem, seize the day, or life is short, do whatever you want. Or in our case this morning, YOLO, you only live once. And even if we say it as a joke, far too often we're buying into it a little bit at a time and we're allowing it to guide our decision making without ever asking the proper question, well, did God really say that? Did God ever really tell us that we only live once? We'll get to the bottom of that this morning, but before we look at God's word and figure this out, I'm going to invite you, I'm going to ask you uh, to pray with me this morning, pray for me, uh, and let's pray for you guys as well. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity. Lord, thank you for uh, awakening us this morning, uh, bringing us here as a part of God's family so that we can uh, learn about you, learn about your will for our lives, learn about your desire for us as we navigate this life that you have granted to us. I ask that you give me uh, clarity in speech, Uh, focus in my mind. I ask that you allow hearts and minds to be transformed this morning from one degree of glory to the next. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this phrase YOLO is a relatively new phrase. And I know a lot of you guys are like, no, actually that's been around for a while. But I'm talking about the scope of the world, right? I know things move quickly in today's culture. What's cool and is in this morning by the time we're at dinner, it's going to be out and canceled. But in the course of life, this is a relatively new phrase, right? A couple of decades old. But the sentiment of you only live once, the sentiment behind the words has really been around forever. It's been around for for thousands of years, for centuries. And the sentiment is that we don't want to waste life. This life is important, and so we have to live like it is important. But because we need to take a look at the sentiment more than just the regular, just the, the particular words in this question, did God really say, you only live once? I'm not doing uh, a command F, I think it is, or a command S, I don't, know the, I don't know the right things on a computer, in the Bible app to see, you only live once. Did, did God say those words? Well, no, but did he speak toward the sentiment? Did he speak toward the fear that is being addressed? Because as we mentioned, what people are really doing is addressing a fear, a fear that they're going to waste their life somehow, a fear that they're not going to get all that life has for them while they are here. There's so much that this world has to offer that you're going to have to soak it all up before it's too late. Just like those meat filled bones that Kaylee tries to slide off into the trash can and they're gone forever. We don't want life to look like that for us. Where we left meat on the bone in our lives. So this morning, we want to answer the question Did God really say you only live once? And the short answer is Well, this one life determines your next life. This one life determines your next life. You get one earthly life that determines how you spend eternity. But as we get to the bottom of this question and we investigate really whether or not this answer is is right or not, and it all comes down to which realities you pay attention to in this world. Which realities are you focusing your mind on? So to do that, this morning we're going to look at God's objective truth in Scripture and we're going to find four realities and see whether or not God really addresses this statement through the Scriptures, and if so what you and I are called to do in light of that truth. And the first reality is the one the world presents to us. And the world presents a false reality. The world presents to us a false reality. This is the wisdom of the world. Now, as we work through scripture and as we work through this question this morning, we're gonna spend a lot of time listening to the wisest person to ever walk the earth other than Jesus the wisest person ever to walk the planet other than Jesus. His name is Solomon. He was the third king of God's people, Israel, after they reached the promised land. And scripture says that he possessed more wisdom than any who came before him. And in his wisdom, he set out to find the meaning of life under the sun. That was his quest. What does it mean to live life under the sun? So I'll tell you to go ahead and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll start in chapter 9. Ecclesiastes is right after Proverbs, right before Song of Solomon. We'll be uh, starting out in chapter 9. We'll work through chapter 9, a little bit of 11, and his final chapter, chapter 12. Now Solomon wasn't just the wisest person in the world. He was also the richest person in the world. So he had all the resources to figure out what he needed. And he was a king, so he was extremely powerful. So if I'm going to take advice from somebody on what it means to live life, I'm going to look for a smart guy. Solomon checks that box. I'm going to look for a guy who has the resources to get things done, to do the investigating. Okay, Solomon checked that box. And I'm going to look for a guy who didn't have anything standing in his way. And as a powerful king, he didn't have that either. So this is the guy that we are turning to, to figure out the meaning of life. And this is what he found as he's writing down his findings, as he's investigating what it means to live life under the sun. He jots things down until he comes to his final conclusion. This is what he says in chapter 9, verses 7 through 10. He says, go, eat your bread with pleasure and drink your wine with a cheerful heart for God has already accepted your works. Let your clothes be white all the time and never let oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife that you love all the days of your fleeting life, which has been given to you under the sun all your fleeting days. For that is your portion in life and in your struggle under the sun. Whatever your hands find to do, do with all your strength because there is no work, planning, knowledge, or wisdom in Sheol, where you are going. There's none of that. The first reality that the world presents to us is that this life is all that there is. That this life is all that there is. That there is nothing beyond or after this life. There is nothing after death the world, your flesh, Satan, the demonic powers at work in the world today, they all want you to believe that there is nothing after death and that this life is all that there is for you. And That's what makes the YOLO chant so enticing, right? Because if you only live once, then you'd better grab all the things you want from life before it's too late. Solomon says, listen guys, Eat your bread. Fill your body up. Be bloated. Go ahead. Drink your wine. Drink your margarita or whatever it is that you like. Go ahead. Enjoy yourself. Do whatever you want because God knows what you did. He knows what you're going to do. He's already accepted it. So just go ahead and live life. In verse 8, he says, man, go party and party every single day. White clothes and oil on the head was reserved for parties, weddings, quite specifically. And so in today's world, he's saying, guys, we're going to go downtown. You need to get your Yeezys on. You need to dapper day in your hair, slick it back, look nice, and get the, get the shirt that makes your dad bod look good. You know what I'm talking about. You all have the one shirt. It works. Make, get that shirt on and let's go hit the town. Or for your ladies, slip on the cocktail dress. We got to hurry up. So just use the dry shampoo. I know that's in right now. And then put on a nice pair of shoes, maybe flats in case we have to do a lot of walking. It is downtown. And let's party. And let's do it tonight. And let's do it tomorrow. And let's do it every day. That's what Solomon is saying as he is investigating life up to this point in his writing. He says, life is a struggle. Your days are fleeting. You only live once. So live it up and soak it up right now. See, Solomon could see this as he was looking for things, and this is what the world has perceived as well, only this is where they stop. This is the false reality that they present to all of us, that this life is all there is, so you better not waste it. Only do the things that are going to bring you joy. Raise your hand if you have seen the movie Dead Poets Society. All right, cool, 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 cool. Or maybe you just like poetry. Anyway, it's a classic to me. I had to introduce it to my wife. She doesn't watch many movies. But in the movie, there is this professor. His name is uh, Mr. Keating, played by Robin Williams. And he is a teacher at this boarding school for boys only, like high school age. And the boys find out that Mr. Keating used to be a part of a society, like a secret uh, band of boys called the Dead Poet Society. And the mantra of that society was basically carpe diem, seize the day essentially the same sentiment as you only live once. And so these boys who really like Mr. Keating decide to resurrect this, this band, this society, and they start their own. And so they sneak off into caves and they sneak off uh, with girls and they smoke and they drink and they talk about life in these caves after curfew. And they read some of their own poetry, original poetry that they write. But they start the meeting off with this writing from the famous Henry David Thoreau in his writing called Walden or Life in the Woods. And he says, he says this, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. I did not wish to live what was not life because living is so dear nor did I wish to practice resignation unless it was quite necessary. I wanted to live deep and suck out all the marrow of life. That is the wisdom of the world. Let's suck out all that we can grab from this life because there's nothing to care about after we die. And if you can't be convinced by the world that there's nothing after death, Then they want you to live as if death is tomorrow, but tomorrow never comes. They want you to live like death is tomorrow, but tomorrow never comes. That's the same lie that Satan told Eve in the garden. In Genesis chapter 3, we read that he, Satan, said to the woman, Did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you may not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will certainly not die. The serpent said to the woman, it's a lie from the father of lies. Pastor Jared Wilson, uh, in one of his writings, he said, the only thing more stupid than not thinking beyond death is not thinking about death itself. The only thing more stupid than not thinking beyond death is not thinking about death at all. Yet this is what the world calls us into, especially for young people, right? Oh, we are invincible. I know I said we as I'm in the younger crowd, We are invincible. I used to tell my wife all the time, I'm a machine. I'm a machine. Oh, do you need to take a break? No, babe, I'm a machine. Maybe you should rest a little. No, I'm a machine. Hey, maybe you should go to bed early. Maybe you should take one day off from the gym. No, I'm a machine. I'm here to tell you this morning, I am not a machine. No way. I need need rest. I need breaks. I need healthy food. I need hydration. I need doctor visits. I need all kinds of things that point to my mortality, not my invincibility. We always think death comes to other people and not to us. But that is foolishness. That's the deceitfulness of sin, that the opportunity for happiness or pleasure or an experience or whatever it is, is so much more urgent than the wisdom that would cause us to live life differently if we look forward. No, I don't wanna miss out on this feeling or this moment. And so we store up regrettable consequences for tomorrow, acting like tomorrow never comes, but the bill always needs paid. Let's live in the moment, let's do whatever we want. Who cares? Well, God cares. The God who made you and fashioned you cares. The God who loves you truly, he cares. But what Satan, the culture, your flesh, what the world, what they don't want you to consider is another reality. They don't want you to consider the proclamation of the Bible. They don't want you to keep reading until the end. They want to keep your attention on a false reality so that you never consider the future reality because the Bible proclaims a future reality. And the future reality is this, that death exists and judgment is real. Death exists and judgment is real. See the beginning, if we move to chapter 11, verse nine, the beginning of Ecclesiastes 11, 9, as Solomon is continuing his investigation into life and he's beginning to come to his conclusion, the beginning of verse 9 looks a lot like those verses out of chapter 9. He says, Rejoice, young person, person, while you're young, and let your heart be glad in the days of your youth, and walk in the ways of your heart. And walk in the desire of your eyes. That sounds wonderful, right? That sounds a lot like the heart of you only live once. And this is where sin would love for you to stop reading. It doesn't want you to keep reading. Because if we finish the sentence and we go into the following chapter, we see a future reality that God's word proclaims, that we have to take into consideration as we answer our question this morning, did God really say you only live once? Because eleven nine starts out that way, but it finishes with "but know that for all of these things, God will bring you to judgment." You can do all that, but know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. I was watching a uh, a Marvel universe movie a couple weeks ago with some college students, and we were watching Doctor Strange, which is quite strange of a movie and a name, Um, but we were watching it. And in the movie, there's a protagonist who is Dr. Strange, and then there's a villain who I can't remember his name. And he sneaks into a library to steal uh, a, a page out of a book for how to do a spell that would like conquer the universe or whatever. So he goes and he sneaks into the library and he tears the page out that he needs to know how to do the spell and he goes off and he does the spell and at the end of the movie doctor strange has has saved the day he saved the universe and he mockingly says to the villain he says yeah you know you really should have stolen the whole book because the warnings the warnings come after the spells now this is not true just in fake spell books in a fake marvel universe but also in the Bible. Solomon says, yes, live life to the fullest. God came to give you life and life to the full, this life and the next, but know that God will bring all of this to judgment. If we keep reading in chapter 12, the first seven verses say to remember your creator, and then he goes and he gives a a picture, an image of a man who is aging and on his way toward death. In this life, we cannot afford to neglect the truth that death and judgment are very real. That's what makes funerals so powerful. I've heard from more than one pastor, even on this staff, that they would so much rather preach at a funeral than they would at a wedding. Now, why would they say that? Is it because they have a a thing for sorrow? Is it because they have a desire to see people grieve and cry and sadness? No, it's because they know that there's never a better time in a person's life for them to seriously consider the gospel of Jesus Christ than when death is on the front of the mind because death puts life in its proper perspective. There is so much more after this life, an eternity, in fact, and we have to live with this in mind. So, when we move our minds away from our false reality and we come to understand that the Bible proclaims a future reality, then we can accurately perceive our present reality. We can perceive our present reality. By taking into consideration the future reality, we rightly see our present reality. We are called to live life according to the reality that this life is not all that there is. We have one earthly life, but we have an eternal life that awaits us. So after all of this studying, after all of his searching, after all of his looking and learning, Solomon eventually comes to his conclusion of what it means to live life under the sun. What is the meaning of life? What is our purpose in this life? How can you do everything in your power to make sure that you don't, when you come to die, discover that you had not lived? Well, in his mic drop moment and the final two verses of chapter 12, he says this, when all has been heard, so man, I've looked at everything, I've seen it all, I've studied it all, I've listened, I've learned. When all has been heard, the conclusion is this, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. Fear God and keep his commandments. The wisest man, the richest man, the powerful man, the one who spent years and years studying, searching, watching, learning, experimenting, investigating. He says there's no There is truly no better way to suck the marrow out of life than to fear God and to keep his commands. He's not saying don't enjoy life, right? He's just saying that experiences and living outside of the parameters of God's guidance will not get you more out of life. It will get you less. You get the most out of life when you live it according to the way that God designed for it to be lived. We perceive our present reality, that there is real pleasure and real purpose in this life. There is real pleasure and real purpose in this life. Right? Solomon is not saying be a dud. He's not saying go through life as a zombie. He is saying live life to the fullest. Just do it wisely. He's not going back on what he said in chapter 9. He's not going back on what he said in verse 9 of chapter 11. Eat your food, drink your drink, go to gatherings, work hard, love your spouse, follow your passions, let your heart be glad. Just know that judgment is coming. So do all of these things in line with God's design. The present reality is that there is real pleasure in this life for all of us to enjoy. Living life according to God's design is not boring, but he also wants you to understand that your pleasure in this life is not detached from your purpose in this life. As we are enjoying life, as we're balling out because life is short, do it with the right perspective. We seize the day, but we do it because this life has purpose. We live this life according to the present reality because the cheap mantra of you only live once is, is just that it's cheap. Way too cheap once we see the future reality and our present reality. That death is coming, that judgment awaits, that there is an eternity to look forward to. And people all around us in this life, all around us in this room, are going to one of two places. Heaven or hell. And they're real. This life is short, but eternity is not You can live this life for this life only and YOLO your way from one selfish desire to the next or you can enjoy life and spend every moment grabbing hold of the full life that Jesus came to bring you by seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and then all the rest is added to you. See, the truth is that this future reality that the Bible proclaims and the present reality that we can rightly perceive is all grounded in a historical reality that God performed. God performed a historical reality. We can see this just as we take a look at Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 through 28. See, in Hebrews, uh, the book is, is written with the perspective of looking at earthly things and comparing them with heavenly things and saying, wow, that's so much greater. It's written so that we can see that Jesus is greater in every way that the new covenant is greater than the old covenant in every way, that the old things and the earthly things are just pictures and representations of the better heavenly things. And we find in verses 27 and 28, it's written, and just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this judgment, the future reality, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. See, what we have that Solomon didn't have is the knowledge of this historical reality. He had the promises of God in the Old Testament. He could see the character of God in the Old Testament, but he did not know how it was going to be done, that God the Son himself would become incarnate, meaning taking on human flesh, that he would live, die, be buried, and then be resurrected on the third day and is sitting alive now at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And as verse 28 says, he's coming back. He's coming back a second time. We will die. Judgment will be our fate. Not a person in this room is gonna skate through without judgment. So the question that you have to ask yourself is did you accomplish the meaning of life? Have you accomplished the purpose that you were created for? Have you feared God and obeyed his commands perfectly? Because that's the requirement, right? It's not, I tried really hard. It's not, I had good intentions. It's not, I was better than my neighbor. It's, did you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? every moment of every day. And when I look in the mirror and I ask that question, because that's the right question, I come up with the wrong answer every time. No, I have not. I have failed to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength every day. And when you look in the mirror and you ask yourself that question, hopefully, I can just speak not from my own authority, but from God's word that you get the wrong answer to. That you come up short as well. So what hope do you have? What hope do we have in accomplishing our purpose and living out the meaning of life? Our only hope is the historical reality that God performed the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is because of the cross that we have a second life. It is because of the cross that we have a second life. See, the text says that Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Our life of purpose is grounded in the historical fact that if you are in Christ, Jesus, the Son of God, took on all of your shortcomings that you have done and that you will do. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that he who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, became sin so that in him you may become the righteousness of God. We sang that earlier. That we're clothed in his righteousness alone. Did you guys pay attention to that? Did you hear that? That the perfect creator who never fell short, who never missed out on anything of value that this life had to offer, became sin so that you could have victory in this life even though you failed. So that even though you are stained with the ugliness of sin, you can be washed as white as snow by the blood that he shed on the cross. The cross is the payment made for our second life. It is because of Christ's work on the cross that we can even read the end of verse 28 that says he will appear a second time, not to bear sins again, but to bring salvation to those who are looking to him for it. Our present reality has purpose because the cross guarantees our future reality. Salvation is real because God performed a historical reality and without it, this life truly is the only life that we will live. But this life has purpose because the second life has to be accepted in this life. The second life has to be received in this one earthly life. If you're here this morning and you have not trusted in the historical reality and the work that Jesus Christ performed on the cross 2,000 years ago, I quite literally beg you to reconsider. I have been adopted as a son of God. I'm an ambassador for him in this world, and I plead with you this morning to consider that to consider the work of Jesus Christ on the cross that he did for his glory and for your good because it has to be accepted in this life because death is real and judgment is coming. Life is meaningless no matter what you do. Life is meaningless apart from the purpose that you were created to live out. But if you look at the cross, your life begins to have purpose now and for eternity. If you're here this morning and you have trusted in the work that God performed on the cross, live like it. Enjoy life. Enjoy all the blessings that God gives you. Eat your bread. Drink your wine. Go downtown. Have fun. Enjoy the wife of your youth receive the blessings. You don't have to live life like a zombie, but know that all the pleasures that you find in this world are just signposts and markers to the one who you will live in ultimate pleasure with in heaven for eternity. They're just markers. They're lesser things to the greater thing that you can have forever. And start boasting in the cross and in the cross alone. Make every effort to share the hope that you have in this life with those around you, your sons, your daughters, your grandchildren. If you're young, your grandparents, your parents, your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, share the hope that you have. Because just like you accepted eternal life in this one earthly life, they need to do that too before it's too late point people to the historical reality of the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what's the answer? what, What is the answer to our question? Did God really say that you only live once? Well, as we've seen from Ecclesiastes and Hebrews, It kind of depends on what kind of eternal life you want to be your reality. How you live here really does determine how you will live forever. This one life determines your next. Life is short. You do only have one earthly life. So it's not, should I have sex with my girlfriend? YOLO. It's not, should I pick on that dorky kid in class? YOLO. It's not, should I neglect my my family so that I can grind and put in the time and climb a corporate ladder, YOLO. It's not, should I gossip about other people? Yeah, why not? Let's live it up. I only live once. No, that kind of life leads to an eternity separated from Jesus, who is life itself. Instead, it should be, should I seek God in prayer? Yeah, this is the time I have to do that. Should I study God's word? Yeah, now is when I need to do that. Should I love others through service? Should I engage in worship? Should I give with generosity? Should I live on mission? Should I grow in discipleship? Yeah, because now is the time I have to do that. Should I fear God and obey his commands every day? Because you only have this one earthly life. And this is for all humanity. You can accept the historical reality of the cross. You can walk in the present reality of a pleasure-filled and purpose-filled life, and you can look forward to a future reality in the eternal presence of God. So this world makes the present seem far more important than eternity. God's word says, spend your time storing up treasures where you can enjoy them forever in heaven, not here where wrath and Roth and must, <laughs> moth and rust, destroy. I'll close with this story from the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 16, verse 19, it says, there was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores, was lying at his gate. And he longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table. But instead, the dogs would come, and they would lick his sores. Now, one day, the poor man died, and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, the rich man looked up, and he saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus, Lazarus at his side, and he said, Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here while you are in agony. And besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you. So those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, and neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so that they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, God's word they should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But Abraham told him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. See, there's gonna come a time, and there always does, even for me, where your older self is gonna say to your younger self, hey, you should have done this or you should have done that, or that wasn't the wisest decision. Right now, you know things now that you wish you could have known earlier. You know things now you wish you could go back and tell your younger self so you wouldn't make the same mistakes. Well, the same is true in the future. That when you come to judgment, you're gonna look back at your younger self, maybe this moment right now, and you're gonna say, And I wish I could go back and say to live this way. Pursue these things. Fear God and obey his commands. See, this life is short, but it is packed with purpose and it impacts your life in eternity. This one life determines your next. So I would ask you this morning to consider how you spend it. Did God really say you only live once? Well, he said this one life determines your next life. So how are you going to spend it? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you do not leave us without answers to questions. Thank you that you do not leave us in the dark, but you reveal yourself to us. You reveal your knowledge and your wisdom to us. Anything that we need, you supply. Lord, I ask that the word that went forth this morning, as you promised, it is alive and active. It doesn't go out without its proper return. And Lord, I'm asking for a big return. We ask that lives are transformed either from death to life or from one degree of glory to the next, that we would seriously consider the way in which we spend our one earthly life so we can store up treasures in heaven where we can enjoy them with you forever. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If this message blessed you and you now have a desire to follow Jesus, I encourage you to go to scottshill.org slash steps so that we can follow up with you. Also, if you like the message, feel free to share it on social media with your friends and family. God bless.